Hello and welcome to another edition of Fascinating Nouns. Now, this is still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, as we arrive together at this curious nexus point, we explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. All right, this is my Halloween episode for this year, and it is The Omen House. Now, this was foreshadowed in an earlier episode with Dr. Barry Taff. He investigated this house and discovered a geomagnetic anomaly sitting right up on the hill of Benedict Canyon, right 150 feet away from the Sharon Tate Manson murder. Uh, I don't know if that had anything to do with the geomagnetic anomaly. I'm not a doctor. My guess is no. But however, it's very interesting lore for this particular episode. So I sat down and talked with David Omen, who built this house with his father, and we discussed all the strange haunted happenings. Um, one of those, because of this electromagnetic anomaly, I'm going to venture to say, uh, my laptop was fried. Now, I don't know if it had anything to, to do with the electromagnetic anomaly that is very powerful and very real and exists in David Omen's house. Um, but it makes a great story. Let's just say that this crazy, unstoppable force fried my computer, and I'm forced to record in a subpar system, which is why you hear this noise in the background. I apologize for that lack of quality, which I'll make it up to you in the next episode. Uh, I also want to mention that this particular episode has lots of multimedia appeal. Uh, I've got videos on YouTube, pictures on Pinterest. Uh, David's got a YouTube channel with tons of videos of his house. Uh, check out the website, fascinatingnouns.com, and you can see the David Omen website there. Check it all out. It's a lot of great stuff for this particular episode. So, without further ado, here is David Omen. All right, so this episode is being taped. Taped? How old am I? This is being digitally recorded inside of an actual haunted house. Um, alleged haunted house, I will say. I can't, I can't put that stamp, stamp on it. But what a great house. Uh, this is David Omen's house. And I'm sitting here with David right now, who is gesturing behind him. David. I'm sorry. I just uh, happened to have heard right in the middle of your um, introduction, I was hearing sounds coming from directly behind me. I don't know if you heard any of that, but there's something going on behind us. And I was like, oh, we're far from alone right now. We've got some visitors here, apparently. Well, the cool thing about this is, um, for those of you who are fans of the paranormal type stuff, there could possibly be real live EVPs on this recording, and we won't know until we play it back, so you may find some nuggets. Uh, so send me a message if you do hear anything. Uh, so let's so let's talk about this house. This is, you know, not only is this house amazing in and of itself, but there's a, quite a bit of history here. There's a lot to get into, uh, but let's start with you, David. You're quite a character. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate You're that. You're welcome. Dan. So, how did you? Um, what's what's your story? What's your background? Um, hmm, let's see. I was born and raised in Los Angeles. Have uh, lived in the area, so to speak, in the hills of uh, the West Side for all, most of my life. Um, for the past 13 years, I've been living in a house that my father and I built. Um, we finished it about uh, three years after we started, which was in 1999. I actually. We finished it in August of 2002. Um, the house is absolutely beautiful, but it's quite quite unique in the fact that it's uh, quite active with paranormal um, activity. 
Well, that is that is to say the least, and there's quite a bit of documentation. Uh, so how did you? So are you the proprietor of Ribs USA? Yeah, God, God, I haven't heard that that name in a long Busted. time. Yeah, I pull up a lot of stuff, David. <clears throat> yeah, as a matter of fact, that was uh, a restaurant that my partner and dear friend Tom Dykeman like created some about 20 years ago now. And um, yeah, that was the uh, restaurant that Tommy and I created, Ribs USA, out in Roscoe and DeSoto. Ribs USA, Ribs Delivery, in 30 minutes or it's free. <laughs> so is this related to the Ribs USA that's in Burbank? Well, we actually got our name from the gentleman who owned the Ribs USA in Burbank. He had a franchise, and he wanted to do a franchise. And we said we were interested in creating our own Ribs you know, restaurant. And he said, look, if you guys want to, since I don't have any uh, any business out in the north end of the valley there, he said, why don't you guys start the restaurant? I'll give you the name, and I'll show you the recipe, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll do a we'll do a franchise type of thing. It'll help get the exposure and expand the uh, the name. And he also had one in Van Nuys, as I remember. He had one in Van Nuys and one in Burbank. And then we were the third installment out in Roscoe and DeSoto, out in Northridge. And um, it was incredible. I loved it. I was there with Tommy when we started it. I was with him for a year, and it just became too much for me. And I bowed out gracefully and sold Tommy my share of the business. <laughs> well, I imagine it's pretty popular now. Uh, did you guys make some good money on that? I mean, did, was it successful? It was successful, yeah. You know, and you have to understand when you're the first year starting any type of a business, it's always going to be, you know, it's going to be a loss because of how much money you have to spend on advertising. But we broke even our first year, and I know Tom continued the business for another 10 or 15 years, and then he oh, finally wow. sold out. Oh, that's not bad, though. No, mm. not at all. And I, I honestly, I love, 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 love barbecue and making barbecue ribs and chicken and you name it. I barbecue it all the time. And, and honestly, I use my barbecue grill about 99% of the time compared to 1% of my own oven. Really? Yeah. Uh, so are you a certified pit master? Yeah, I consider myself a very, very certified pit master. I've got my own special recipe for... Uh, the uh, omen, the the famous omen barbecue baby back ribs. Well, you know, there's a, an official pitmaster certification. Do you have that, sir? No, I don't have anything that's official. Oh well. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll have to. How submit. dare you call yourself a pitmaster? Oh, I believe me. After fifty, was this twenty some odd years of making baby back ribs, and I've been bringing ribs to UCLA football now since Bob Toledo took over twenty years ago. So. I think that you can ask Coach Mora about my ribs if you like, and he says, oh, those ribs are great. The rib boys, yeah, love those ribs from Rib Man. <laughs> the Rib Man. So now you worked as a private eye too, is that right? Yes, yes, can, can I talk, did. Can we talk about that? Sure, <laughs> sure. It's just another thing that I haven't uh, dabbled or discussed in many a year. But yeah, I was uh, I started my own private investigation attorney service. Um <laughs> so, so, I mean, you're in L.A. Was it very film noir? Did you have a lot of femme fatales coming in looking to catch their cheating husbands? No. What was interesting is, is all of my clients were attorneys, and I did work for a couple of um, high-powered divorce attorneys and a couple of famous divorce cases. I act, actually worked and dropped and brought uh, Burt Bacharach's um, divorce papers from Carol Bayer Sager to him. And uh, what was great about that experience is, was that I went up to Malibu to, to give uh, Bert his the papers to have him take care of this for the divorce, and he invited me in. 
he asked me if I wanted a drink. I said, yeah, I'll have a glass of water. I don't want to put you out, please. And he goes, oh, no, no, no trouble at all. And then I asked him, there is one thing I said that I'd really like to take this opportunity to um, you know, say to you, Mr. Baccarat. I said, I love, love, love your work. I've been a fan of yours since I was a child. <laughs> and I said, if you would, he goes, he goes, what, 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 uh, let me indulge you. He goes, what would you like to hear? And it's like, oh. I said, oh my, seriously? You'll, you'll play for me, right? And he goes, yeah, yeah, come on. Sits down at the piano and he plays. I said, I got to hear Raindrops. I'm sure you've heard it a million times, but I just would love to hear you sing and play for me Raindrops. And he was so flattered because it was such a genuine gesture on my part that he sat there and he played the piano and I just sat there and I shook my head. I just couldn't believe the situation I'm wow. in. You know, I, I, I just just like the rest of my life, it's one of those crazy things you just don't know what's going to happen when, but you're always impressed with how things ride out. So then you had to give him his divorce papers? Or yeah, then I, I gave him papers. He knew it, it was all set up. He knew I was coming up there. It wasn't like it was oh, some kind okay. of a... You know, it's like I'm going in there. It's like, no, he knew. So I, he was just so gracious and such a wonderful person, and I'll never forget it, because he didn't have to be any of that, and yet he was so genuine and so nice. I was so appreciative. I couldn't. I just, I was just like, I can't believe this is really happening. But yeah, it would have been a much funnier situation if you would have gone up there. He didn't know you were delivering divorce papers, plays this beautiful song for you, moves you from an emotional standpoint. Then you blast him with <laughs> divorce papers. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, I've got I've got a story that'll put you in the back seat with one of those type of scenarios. All right, let's hear it. And this is with a very, 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 very famous, famous football player. And uh, I don't know if I want to name names, because even though this is some 25 years later, I'm a little concerned that he still might hold a grudge for what um, <laughs> I did, because it was pretty solid. Um, yeah, for some reason, I don't think I want to name names. No, that's all right. I don't, want, I don't want him to say, ah, that's who that was. I remember that, and believe me. Uh, he'd remember this because this is one of those, like, you did what to who? Well, if he came after you, I would love the fact that he was listening to the show. Oh, I've got, so that'd well, be enough. Let, let, but, but let's not name names, Let's David. not name names, but no. I'll just tell you the, the story. Let's hear the story. Um, uh, let's see. My uh, my client, very high-powered attorney, said, all right, you've done all the preliminary work. We've got all the dirt we need. I need you now to drop the pick. I don't know if you guys just heard that. But I had pasted up a um, poster. We don't need to name the name of the movie poster. No, they're not a sponsor. On my um, <laughs> on my couch. And what you just might have heard in the background was that movie poster coming dislodged and releasing itself and falling to the ground. There's no windows open. There's no air conditioning open. On There's no drafts. Yet that piece of paper on its own just decided to move two three feet and you just heard it too i mean I, I was looking right at it actually uh you're, you're you kind of can see it out of your left corner, yeah the your corner left of my eye. left eye i but saw it moving. like what the hell was that right in front of my face i saw the whole thing happen it was very bizarre i am reluctant to call it supernatural but i will say that it was very strange it was very strange at the very least um anyway um, let's talk about this football player all right so the, he says i want you now to to, to to get his divorce papers to him i said I said, great. And I said, but you know, this guy is already a pro at, at evading service. And he goes, yeah, I know. I know. And I said, hey, what, what day is today? 
and I forgot the date, and it was like May 23rd. I said, what? And psychically speaking, I hate to say this admittedly, but I kind of had this weird vibe. It's like, what day is his birthday? And he looks up in the in the folder, and he goes, May 23rd. I said, oh, my God. I said, today is his birthday. I said, today is his birthday. I said to the attorney, I said, do you know what this means? He goes, no. I said, what? He goes, I'm going to go balls to the wall with this one. I'm going to go all the way. I said, I have this weird feeling. I'm getting this idea of like how to do this thing, how to get this one nailed and how it's perfect that I'm psychically asked, told this information. It was the strangest thing. I said, because how come out of the blue I'm asking, what's the day of his birth? What's today's date? And I don't even know this person from Adam. I mean, I know of him because he was such a famous, 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 famous football player. And I mean... Famous in the sense that he was one of the... He's an original. I'll just tell you this. This person is one of the original... Um, <laughs> I can't say what, but I just want to say he is very famous. I don't, I don't want to give him his gosh darn initials even. But let's just say he's big. <laughs> A lot of them are. Big, and his, his initials are JB. <laughs> and he is a big kid. A kid. He's a big gentleman. He's he's got some years on me, let's say. But I still was at the time. I was pretty scared of what he could do to me in a heartbeat. And he had a reputation of being a little bit. Um, let's just say he wasn't exactly a soft, cushy pillow of a guy. <laughs> he was big. So I go run to his drive to his. I go to a um, a florist, and I get twenty balloons, helium balloons. And I got a few assorted in there with a mylar that said, happy birthday. And I go park my car down from his house, his apartment, and I start walking up these this long set of stairs. Not even stairs, but it's almost like his apartment is set back maybe 50 feet from the street. So you have a long walkway, which goes up two steps, then about 30 feet of concrete, then it goes up two steps and another 30 feet of concrete. So finally you get to the house and it's probably about maybe 80, 90 feet up this walkway. And I ring the doorbell and it's an old style home. And what I mean is, is or, or building and you literally knock on the door and you come into like an entryway and there's a, there's a staircase going up the stairs and there's, that's where the, the, the living quarters are above. And I go in this, I knock on the door, and this woman opens the door, and I said, hi. I said, can I, can I open you? I said, hi, I've got, um, I said, a special singing telegram for JV. And uh, she goes, oh. So let me, she goes, oh, I'll take that. I said, no, let me, let, I said, I have to sing this to him, so let me do this. Let me, you know, and I hand it up, and I'm dressed in like a tuxedo, because I'm not going to let anything but do the right thing to make it look completely convincing. So he comes in to the top of the stairs, and I'm looking at the top of maybe 15 stairs, and at the top of the stairs is this big, big star football player, just solid as a rock. And I say, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you. Meantime, I've got this these 20 balloons and the strings, and the balloons are going up maybe 5, 7, 10 feet up, you know, because it's mm. one of those things where you, you, you walk in and it opens up. And they're they're up hanging up, and I'm holding this 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 divorce paper folded up God. in like a it was a scroll. I didn't even <laughs> scroll the bottom of the twenty the, the string the twenty strings, 
And I said, happy birthday to you. And he starts walking down the God darn staircase. And my, I'm starting to skip my heart, skipping beats going, happy birthday, dear Jim. Happy birthday to you. He extends his, he's halfway down the stairs and he extends, puts his arm out to reach for the string of the strings of balloons, all the strings. And he literally grabs them because his hand is so big. He's able to grab all the strings in his, in his hand. And he's, he's pulling these strings, the 20 strings. I'm like holding on to the gosh darn <laughs> scroll, which is divorce papers in my <laughs> left hand. And he's pulling them. And I'm like being dragged up the stairs. I'm thinking, I said, oh, God. I said, I've got to let go. So I open my hand and open. There's the scroll. And he goes, well, what's that? What's this? And I said, oh, that must be. The, I think that's your birthday card. So he grabs the strings and he pulls the strings up and he's, he's opening up, you know, unfolding the scroll. I said, well, thank you very much, Mr. Yeah. B. I said, have a very good day. Happy birthday again. And I basically, what the hell was that? Did you hear that? I heard it because I've got the microphone. Did you hear that? Yeah. Now, we just had something. And again, this is my usual routine with the spirits. When I'm doing something that's not, <laughs> how should I say, not paying much attention to them. They will sometimes move an object or make some sound or noise or something in another part of the room where there is no one to let you know that they're not pleased, that they're not getting their just due attention. And that's what I think is what I'm sensing. It's like, hey, you're talking about you. Talk about us. Boom. So they're making their presence felt. And as Dan just heard... No, they, we caught it. You heard that. Good. Yeah. All right. So that's not something that should be here. So I start running literally three steps and I'm then jumping down the, 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 the next, the two steps. Parkour. I'm going three, like I'm like running. I used to run track and I'm like sprinting my butt down there, going, taking leaps because the next thing I know is, is I hear him howling and screaming. And I am literally thinking, oh God, get me in the car and get me the hell out of here. And I just got in my car and I drove off and that was it. I could just, as I got down to the car, I heard him start tearing down the stairs I mean, the path after, after me. Oh, yeah. Like T-Rex in like Jurassic T-Rex. Park. <laughs> like T-Rex in Jurassic Park. And I'm going to have to say it was Jim Brown. And it was good old Jim Brown. This is 25 years ago. And Jim is like, I'm going, oh, shit. Yeah, I'm out of there. I just drove off. <laughs> That's an amazing story. It was amazing. It was one of the craziest stories. I have not told that story in so many years. Yeah, it tried to kill me, basically. So that, that gives you an idea. Well, that's an excellent segue because had you been killed, ah, yes. you may you may <laughs> have inhabited it. your house in a very different way. Uh, it, you know, it's funny. I'm looking at a Beetlejuice poster right now, um, and the other unique thing about this particular property is that it's you know less than 200 feet away from the infamous um, Charlie Manson murders. So this particular, it seems to me that you have a particular taste for this type of thing. Is that could I could that be said to be true? Um, that's an interesting way to say it. Um, I've, I've always been fascinated by the paranormal, to be honest with you. So, um, to be honest with you, I don't know if it's necessarily a fascination with Beetlejuice, but I mean, I've always been fascinated and intrigued by death, not by death. That's, that's the wrong comment. Um, when I say Beetlejuice, cause it's a haunted house. Right. Like I'm no, I'm, at... I've been fascinated with paranormal activity for all my life. Hmm. So to me, it's something that I've always, I hate to say, always wished upon myself was to live in a haunted house or to visit a haunted house. The bonus is I know I get to visit one. I live in one and built one. So it was really, you know, um, it was really the fulfillment of a lot of different dreams in a lot of different ways. 
because I had always wanted to build a house that I was going to live in that it was built with my father because my dad had built the house that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. And um, I was growing up, as growing up as a kid, I was always at the locations of my dad's construction sites. So to me, it was just um, the fulfillment of a dream. And I got doubly lucky because I built a house that's haunted. <laughs> right. I mean, I you know, it's like, God, I, it's like, how should I say this? It's a weird thing to say. I've always been intrigued by the by the paranormal, and I've always asked, you know, people who whose homes I was going into as a child if their house was haunted. Ironically enough, my own turns out to be wildly haunted, and I'm actually inviting people in, to or have invited people in, to come in and investigate and see it for themselves, and literally have just discontinued that as of two months ago. So, no, what was your? Did you have any paranormal experiences before you moved in here? Um. I'd say if paranormal isn't exactly what I, my experiences have been. I'd say extrasensory perception I've always been um, mm. keen about, and I've always had a uh, a unique um, take on it, or I've been very, very sensitive, let, me, let us say, towards uh, my uh, sixth sense. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as paranormal stuff is concerned, no. I've never really had anything happen that was... Um, I hadn't seen a ghost till I moved in. I hadn't really seen any paranormal activity as such until I moved in here. I've had tons of friends. Um, a very dear friend of mine lived right next door to me when I lived in the flats. Mm-hmm. Um, she came to me and said, you know, uh, I had this strange apparition, you know, spirit come into my apartment, blah, 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 and all this stuff had happened. But I personally had never experienced anything till I moved in here. Hmm. So I only bring up the Manson thing because this is a very infamous plot of land. Uh, so did you move here because of that, or was it really just a good deal on property? Well, the, or both. Well, if the, the the story about how it is that I ended up getting this property was that my father called me up, or was it late November, early December, on a Sunday morning in late 1999, and said, "David, it's you know, get up." I was like, "What?" He goes. I found a piece of real estate. It's it's up in Beverly Hills. I said, okay, fine. It's a lot. He goes, yeah, it's $40,000. And I said, excuse me? I said, Dad, you must be, it must be a misprint. Maybe it was $400,000. He goes, no. It says forty k. Come on. He goes, get up and meet me up at this, lo- at this location. And I was like, okay. He goes, it's up in a canyon. I said, oh, $40,000 for a piece of real estate in Benedict Canyon. I said, it must be a vertical slope, Dad. I said, come on. Right. So what the hell are you talking about, 40000 yeah, all right, fine. So I humored him, and I got in, the, got in my car, and I drove up to Cielo Drive. And upon arriving here, because I was closer than he was, and I was much, I was faster getting up out of, the, out of my house to getting up here, I um, immediately looked down the driveway, and I said, oh, my God. That's where the Tate murders took place, and that being the Sharon Tate murders, as I refer to them as. And it was one of those weird things. I was like, what the? I said, I, I can't believe I'm here. And my dad drives up, and he goes, all right, what do you think of the lot? And I was like, Dad, do you know that that's where the Tate murders took place? And my dad, in his in his usual way, says, I don't care about the gosh darn Tate murders. Who cares? We're here to look at this piece of real estate. Come on. let's Let's look at this. It's like, oh, all right, well, 
I said, wait a second, there's rebar on the property. What's that all about? He goes, it's part of the improvements on the lot. I said, what? I said, you mean there are caissons on this? He goes, yeah, there's apparently 13 caissons as well. I said, it's $40,000 and you've got $100,000 worth of improvements, meaning the caissons are already installed. I said, that's that's crazy, Dad. That's that's 10% of the value right there. I said, the lot alone is worth 300000 and the, the caissons is $100,000 worth of improvements. He goes, you don't get it. The lot's not buildable. I said, oh, oh, well, thanks, Dad, for inviting me up here to look at a piece of real estate that's that's not buildable. And he goes, no, you don't understand. He goes, that's what the heck it says on the, on the reports. I, I just did some, inf- done, did some research, and that's what it says. It's a non-buildable lot. Because I have a funny feeling that, it, that it, this is going to require a little more investigation. So... A couple of weeks later, he did the research, and it turns out there was a what do you call it, a clerical error, where the property was originally listed as as being on a private street. I mean, a private drive. Somewhere in the past 25 years, it had been changed to a private street, but I don't show any documentation that supports that. And then he found out it was a clerical error because it's supposed to be a private drive which have different, let's just say, different prerequisites. Bottom line is, is everything is okay. We can build on it. So we bought the lot. He designed the house. The structural engineer played, his, you know, put his two cents in as far as how the foundation and how the structure has to be built to accommodate for what we have here as far as the caissons, for, and also to include what my father had designed. Um, what we didn't know at the time was is that by putting in so much steel into the framing of the house, into the structure, meaning that on supporting the floor that we're on right now, which is the third floor, there are two 20-foot long steel I-beams, the type of steel I-beams that you see in the construction of um, skyscrapers. And these two steel I-beams are basically welded in the middle, because they're connected from one side to the other, one side in the middle, you know, connected to run across the width of the house. And they're supported by three steel columns that are embedded in the concrete that's reinforced with steel as well. And these are, it's called gray, these are called gray beams as well. And that on the the third, the second floor is also another set of two steel I-beams Again, the same thing. They're connected in the metal, they're welded, and they're also being supported by another three steel columns that are buried into the concrete with a rebar. Well, we didn't realize that this property is literally a magnetic um, anomaly, and that in this area there's a magnetic geomagnetic anomaly that is radiating out from this deeper in the earth all the way up here, and that this steel and iron and the I-beams is basically transferring this DC magnetic field through them and created a gigantic, well, for lack of better words, a magnetic cage effect. So that for the third floor and the second floor, there's a lot of, as you say, electromagnetic anomaly field energy that is running around here, crazy. And the fact that I have a 30-foot wrought iron spiral staircase also lends itself to actually amplifying up this naturally occurring EMF level material, uh, energies. So much so that the uh, I have a 10-inch crescent wrench that's sitting on top of my bar, and it's a regular one-inch one thick solid um, butcher block bar. has no metal in it. That 
crescent wrench is so magnetized that earlier in the evening when, we, when I was bringing Dan around, I took a geomagnetometer, an EMF meter up to it, and we registered 6,500 milligauss negative at it. And then it reversed polarity, and at the other point it was around 5,000 milligauss positive. That's not possible. That's scientifically off the charts without any explanation of what it had been doing and how it became so magnetized is almost unheard of. But just by being in the environment, it basically became totally magnetized. And that is, I mean, we have footage of that. It is incredible. Uh, it sounds too, it sounds actually too amazing to be true, but I, I mean, I've witnessed it. We have video of it. It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, this is, an, this is an incredible phenomenon. I witnessed it, uh, you know, put it up on the website. We have video of this. You know, you see it. You, you're talking about base readings of 300, and this thing registers 3,500. This is 10 times what the base reading is supposed to be uh, off the charts. You know, in 2005, was it? Yeah, 2005. That, so 2005, there. a friend of the show, Barry Taff, uh, came out here, and he registered all this stuff. Um, and he actually showed me some of the... Uh, some of the actual documents that he used, that, that he came up with, the, the scientific documents, where he describes in detail what exactly he found here, uh, which I'll put that up on the website as well. Uh, but it's just amazing stuff. I mean, this is a real, genuine geomagnetic anomaly, uh, very much like Lost in a way. The movie Ghostbusters, uh, you know, they talk about, in, in the end of the movie, they talk about the building where Dana Barrett lives before right. she. They talk about how it was uniquely constructed <laughs> to focus, you know, energy, paranormal energy into one point. And it's kind of what's happened here. And this is a quote from Barry Taff, which I think is really interesting. Uh, this kind of nails it to me. He says, what can be said without reservation at this time is that very strong geomagnetic fields, which are in constant flux at this location, meaning your house, yes. provide a conducive environment which enables such paranormal events to occur on a regular basis. So essentially what he ultimately decided, or not decided, what he ultimately concluded was that due to the unique geomagnetic anomalies uh, and the structure of your house, it's almost like a Faraday cage. Uh, except the reverse Faraday cage, where all the energy is kept inside and is allowed phenomenon to manifest itself. Uh, I, I just have to tell you, I just grabbed that crescent wrench that I was speaking to you about earlier. Um, just making a great point here, David. Uh, I just, I just, that was the pod, the point of the podcast. I'm just telling you right now. Oh, what happened to the crescent this wrench? This thing just went up to 8,000 milligauss. I've never seen anything register 8,000 milligauss. It's the show. Ever. The show, man. The show's too hot for that crescent wrench. The crescent wrench is registered. I mean, and what, what Barry said was he called this place the Mount Everest of haunted houses and the Disneyland for the dead because, according to him at the time in his 35-year career, he says he's never seen a house that was so active on such a consistent basis as this house is. And as he said, he was referring to and referencing the um, original Entity case that mm. uh, the movie was based upon that he had been actually privy to investigating back in 1972. He said that when the spirit manifested, and they have some famous photographs of the arc of energy across the frame of the uh, photograph, he says when that energy arc appeared, he goes, our measurement, our meters registered 2,000 milligauss and peaked and then returned back to 350, 400 milligauss positive. He says... In this house, 
the levels are always 2,000 milligauss plus, positive or negative, constantly. And as a result, he figured that since spirits manifest, they hit that, that high point. He says, because this house is always at that high point, when you or whoever walks into the house, the cadre of spirits that are around them hit this environment, they become like a dormant lizard coming out of its hibernation from the cold, hitting the sun and hitting the warm air and hitting that environment where it's very um, warm. They can become active. And in a warm environment, lizards become, and reptiles and cold-blooded animals become very, very active. Barry said the same thing is happening when, a, when somebody comes in and a spirit hits this environment. They don't have to draw upon energy out of their own resources. They can basically just hit this environment and like the snake or a lizard gets very, very active in the, sun, in the noonday sun, he said that the spirits become very, very active. And I myself have witnessed things firsthand that just defy logic and are objects being moved or thrown or... Um, I mean, just, for example, my friend came into uh, L.A. about, this is like six, five, six years ago. His brother had just committed suicide, and he drove out from Kansas City to clear his head. He was here for three days and three nights in the room right adjacent to where we are right now. And I said, hey, this is a great opportunity, and I don't mean to be, you know, to really push any buttons, but, and to tread on some, you know, very special you know, territory with your brother just passing, but if he is here and he wants to manifest, if you're in the third level guest bedroom, maybe he'll have a lot easier time of being able to do that while you're here. So for three days and three nights, we I spoke to him and said, how are things? Nothing happened. The last night he was here, I went to the second floor to take care of feeding my cats. And um, I'm downstairs in the cat's room, literally one floor below where he is, and I'm there for maybe 10, 15 seconds, and I hear something drag across the floor above me, which is the living room. And then it was a slight, it was just a short amount of like one, two sound. It was like something scraping the floor. And then something's like an immediate rush of like, and then kaboom. And I ran upstairs, and I got to the top of the stairs, and I turned to my right, and what do I see? I see one of my sofa chairs flipped over right next to the uh, balcony. And I look at him on the balcony and he's shaking like a leaf on a tree. And I said to him, I said, what the hell happened? I said, what did you do that? But why'd you throw the, what what, 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 what did you throw the, the couch for, the sofa chair for? And he goes, I didn't d- do it. I said, what? And I'm looking at the sofa chair and it's about, good two feet, two and a half, 30 inches wide. It sits about 36 inches, and it's got to weigh about a good 45, 50 pounds. And I said, what do you mean you didn't do it? And he goes, I went on the balcony to get a cigarette or to smoke a cigarette. And I said, yeah, I got that, okay. He goes, I'm taking a puff or two. You went downstairs, and all of a sudden, the sofa chair on the left I'm looking at it for some reason, and it moves three inches over to straight. I said, what do you mean? They were both at an angle where the back of the chairs were all angled towards each other. He goes, yeah, that's what I'm saying. He goes, the back of the chair moved three inches over straight to parallel, you know, parallel with the uh, the, the railing going outside the the, uh, sliding glass door. I said, yeah. He goes, 
It then shot back three feet, hits the railing to the sliding glass door, and proceeds to flip over. And I go, gee whiz, that's what I heard. I heard a, a small, quick slide of something sliding across the floor, short, and then a longer slide, a really quick slide, and then kaboom. He goes, that's what it was. I, that's, I didn't touch, 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 touch it. And he's shaking, like smoking a cigarette, just shaking, stuttering. And I said out loud, I said, Sharon, Jay, is this your work? And I hear a voice. And I said, I said, I heard something. We heard an audible voice. Something said. And I heard a voice say, his brother. And I said, did you hear that? And he said, I don't know. I heard something. I don't know. I, 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 I. And he's just mumbling and, and stuttering. So I said, well... I he's don't a know. Mental he, mess. He's a, yeah. He's a, he's just 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 a just a blender brain. So I said to him, I said, well, I just heard a voice, and I know you heard something, and I heard the voice say his brother. And I said, I don't have a brother. I said, but you did. And he takes a beat. He looks at me and he says, um, you didn't know my brother. I said, no, Ken, I didn't know your brother at all. He says, my brother was a practical joker. And then I just slapped my hands to my head and I go, oh, Jesus, Christ, sake. For three days and three nights, I've been egging you on to see if your brother's made any contact with you. And for three days and three nights, we've had not a single thing happen. Leave it to be that you're leaving six hours later at six in the morning and driving back to Kansas City. And uh, I leave you for two seconds, for ten seconds, to feed the cats. And this happens. I said, you know something? And he goes, you know, and he goes, you know, and he says, yeah, I know something. He goes, my brother's okay. And he was calm. At that moment, it all just sank in. He says, you know something? He's letting me know he's okay. And I don't have to worry about him. Because... I am so grateful for this moment, he said. He goes, and he starts smiling. He goes, that stinky, no good son of a bitch. It's so, it's still him. And he starts smiling, and he was just like so all right and at peace with it. It was amazing. It was just the most amazing feeling for me to hear him say that because, yeah, it's a hell of a way to, for for somebody to lose somebody and to commit suicide and. You know, reasons or not, it's what somebody chose to do, and that's as much as I can say for those who choose to do that. And I've had a few friends that have um, done that. And, uh, you know, it's just nice that he was able to get closure for that. Well, it brings up a really interesting point, because not only have we described that this house is a conduit for those types of things, but the other thing that you need in that equation are spirits you know you need to have people whether they're residual in the area or whether he brought them from kansas city they have to be with you in order to manifest themselves here and what's kind of crazy about this particular area is there's quite a few different kind of strange deaths or monumental lots of you know the manson murders are one thing and i don't think that that defines the area at all but there were you know lots of indigenous peoples i think we had talked uh, about there being a tablet of a great battle that was here um, you know, there was George Reeves had a very strange, unexplained death not very far from here. Um, you know, there's a, there's a fault line running through here, which also adds to the to the geomagnetic. So for me, this is a, a very unique intersection 
between science and supernatural, in my belief. Uh, so now you've done a little bit of research on the, the native populations here, right, and how they, uh, what the area was like and who lived here. Yeah, um, I was, I, I guess, you, again, I would say one of those serendipitous moments of my life um, a few years ago. One of the local, I guess you'd call it the Benedict Canyon Association, had sent out its annual um, little magazine. And I was flipping through it and I found a page and it said something about Native American battle. And I was like, what? Native what? Native American battle in Beverly Hills? What are you talking? And I looked and started reading the article, and it said that um, at the corner of Chevy Chase Drive in Benedict Canyon, about a mile away from here, there's a granite boulder on the corner there. And on this granite boulder, there's a bronze placard. And on that placard, it says, in 1925 the remains of three Native Americans were unearthed on this spot. And this was left from a the last battle between the Native Californians, I mean, the Native Americans and the early Californians. And I looked it up, and it said something to the effect that it was 40 years earlier. And the research showed me that in 1885, the last battle between the U.S. Cavalry and the Native Americans in Southern California took place on that piece of real estate literally a mile from my house. And I found out that the tribe was the Tongva tribe, a sub-tribe of the Gabrileno tribe that was out in this neck of the woods. And I did a little more research and went up to Franklin Canyon Reservoir. And at Franklin Canyon Reservoir, at the community center up there, they actually have a reconstruction of what the Tongva tribe's um, I guess you'd call it, say, their habitat, what they lived in, their um, homes were looking like. And it was amazing because it wasn't a teepee. It was basically a hut that was kind of a domed hut made from different types of leaves and stuff. I think it was palm leaves and such that they had that they were using to intertwine and stuff to make the exterior of it. It was fascinating, but it was mind-blowing because of the fact that it... <laughs> that a lot of the people that were gifted, such as Lisa Williams, James von Prague, Christopher Fleming, um, Jackie Barrett, um, Marion Winkowski, all these famous different sensitives had said to me that they felt Native American energy in this on, on this property. So much so that Lisa Williams famously told me about eight years ago that in the Earthen Wall Room, she picked up the energy of a Native American with his horse and he and the horse had basically fallen on, fallen down the side of the hill from what is now the driveway, which was once a horse path. And um, he and he basically and he and the horse both died the traumatic death as they fell tumbling down the side of the mountain, and basically their remains were left there, and through the centuries got covered by mud and earth and whatnot, and. His remains were supposedly interred in the Mount of Earth that is now what is occupied by my earthen wall room. So what is the earthen wall room? Describe it for people. Well, the earthen wall room is literally just a section under the house. Um, if you can imagine, the house is built on a 45-degree slope. So the top floor and the, 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 the top floor is at street level. The second floor is about 10 feet below the side of the hill, and the third level is another 10 feet below that. So underneath 
that part of the house was never actually enclosed by a wall. And if you go in there, there's a little kitchenette now. And if you go a little further in, you'll actually see the underside of the house is the underside of the earth is still there. I think you took some pictures of that, right? Yeah, there's there's some pictures there. Uh, so, and you believe that there's um, some um, a native buried there, yeah? No, what I said was is Lisa Williams said. Oh, Lisa she, Williams said that. Okay. Lisa Williams said not buried. He's interred. The big difference is is when you say buried, people go into a place in their mind and believe that there's a. Uh, like a proper burial Like there's a site. proper burial. Okay. When I say buried, I mean in the most extremely raw sense of the word. He's interred. Means that his body was on the hillside. The horse's body was on top of his. Basically, his he died there. His remains are there. And through the years, through the mud, and through, I guess, just time, they basically they got covered over, kind of like dinosaur bone, bones. You know, mm. they, they just if something dies someplace, you'll never know it's there because it gets buried by earth and sand and soil and such. Right. Same with him. He was buried and interred in the earth there. So. Well, what are the other? Since we're talking about the, since we're talking about Native American culture around here, uh, you know, this is a place that they also saw as a sacred ground, right? I mean. Um, <laughs> Yes, I can't no. say that because A, I'm not Native American. Okay. And B, I don't want to. I don't think it's right for me to um, to make comments about things that I really can't honestly say that I know honestly if that's true or not. Okay. I know that some people um, have embellished, or one person in particular has led a crusade to embellish everything that anybody says, including myself, on his um, television show. But yeah, that's unfortunately. If you watch that show, you watch what I say, then you listen to what he says I said, you can see pretty clear that I didn't say what he says I said, and I won't even come close to validating that because I don't believe that it's true. I personally don't believe that this, this property that I live on was ceremonial Native American burial ground ever, and um, I just don't believe that. I think that there's something to the land but I don't necessarily won't go so far as to say any of that because I don't think it's my place. Okay. Moving right along. Yes. Uh, so you have several animals here, right? Yes. Did they ever uh, did they ever sense anything? I know animals can be very sensitive to these types of phenomenon. Have you noticed anything like that? Well, my first dog, Sebastian, who is a Rhodesian Ridgeback who has since passed, um, he sensed a lot. And what I mean by that is Ridgebacks, and the reason why I got a Ridgeback is because they don't bark unless there's a threat to the territory that is theirs, that they command, that they are responsible for. Um, so much so that they will be quiet as a mouse. But if there's somebody that's knocking on the door, they will go into complete ballistic mode and protect that that door and that home and put their life on the line. And there was enough times when he lived here, for the eight years he lived here, or about seven, five years he lived here, he would inexplicably stare at the door and then start bellowing. Hmm. And I mean bellowing like there was somebody there and he was protecting his domain. We'd open the door, nothing. Not a soul, not a peep, no one. Um, this went on at least a couple hundred times during his lifetime living here. Um, my cat's Tess, who's actually famous because she's on my webs on YouTube. I think she has like a hundred or two hundred thousand hits, and it's under Tess has to deal with some Tess has to deal with some ghosts. 
This is about eight years ago as well. She comes out of the, this might be 2006, my God, it's nine years ago. She comes out of my office, and as she does so, there's a ton of activity that's taking place going up and down the hallway. And there's one object that literally starts out the video. It starts from, from right in front of the camera, travels down the hallway about 30 feet, come, stops, comes back, stops about 10 feet from the camera, it goes back and forth, and then right through the wall. Hmm. Now Tess comes out right after that, and she sits down, and she's looking around down the hallway at all this activity. And she is tracking the objects. It's inex- it's just extraordinary. Because you see the cat looking and watching these objects. She's bobbing her head and tracking the objects, but she's not chasing them. And she's not reacting as if it's an insect. And she's not reacting as if it was a laser light. Which she was a tremendous hunter. But she doesn't do a thing. And then she gets up and she walks down the hall. I'll have to apologize to those who see it, the video, and explain that it does have an edited piece in there because the editing, the person who shot it said, oh, I didn't see any point in not stopping. I felt I should just edit because there was 30 seconds of no activity. At which point I said to him, you should have left the 30 seconds of no, in- of no inactivity. I said that would have lent, lent itself to no one saying that the video was screwed with or tampered with or mm-hmm. edited. Mm-hmm. Plus it would also show that there's a discontinuation of the activity for a brief moment. And because of that, you can't disperse it and say that it's some type of a form of dust. Because that's like saying, okay, there's dust. Well, how come there's three seconds of no dust? And then the dust picks up again. So. Yeah. What is the, so what is the strangest thing that you've ever personally encountered? Um, <laughs> there's been a few strange things I've personally encountered. Um, I would say the high point would probably be seeing an apparition, the only apparition I've ever seen in my life to date. Um, that would have to be the most um, interesting. There's That was uh, about 10 years ago, 11 years ago in July, I saw the apparition of one of the victims of the murders um, in front of my bed in the middle of the night. Um, can you say which one it was? Uh, yeah, it was Jay Sebring. And I didn't recognize it as Jay Sebring at the time. I thought it was somebody, a relative basically coming to notify me that my mother had died of cancer. Um, uh, then here's a great one that happened to me just about five, six months ago. I was in my bathroom. It was about 1230 at night. I was just uh, finished washing my face. And I went to um, clean up some pair of tennis shoes. So I dampened my, my washcloth, I turned off the water, I sat down on the edge of the, ba- of the bathtub, about four or five feet away from the sink. I proceeded to start cleaning my tennis shoes off and the, you know clean off some of the dirt and whatever, and all of a sudden I hear water running. And I'm thinking, I didn't turn the water on, I turned it off. I said, California's in a flood, I'm thinking, I mean in a flood, in a... Uh, <laughs> California's in the middle of a <laughs> yeah. California's in the middle of a drought. So I look up and I look at the sink and both hot and cold water are on. And my first response is, Oh, that is so cool. That is so cool. I'm literally glee. I mean, just just totally ecstatic, saying, Oh, that's bitch and I love it. That is so cool. I love this. This 
And I said, I said out loud, I said, I love it. I said, thank you, thank you, thank you. I so appreciate it. That is so cool. Because a friend of mine had had the experience that he was upstairs in the uh, powder room on the top floor and he was going to the bathroom and all of a sudden the water turned on directly mm, directly behind him and it was like he told me and I said, really? He goes, yeah, it freaked me out. He goes, I'm sitting taking a leak and all of a sudden the water starts running going on from behind me and I was like, oh, you lucky bastard. You got to experience that and see that firsthand. Oh, God. So to me, it was like, oh, bitchin', I just got to have the gosh darn water turn on for me. And I said to the spirits, that is so cool. I so appreciate that. You guys are so great. I said, but on a really serious note, California's going through a, through a drought right now, and we really can't afford to waste water. So as much as I appreciate that, that's a great, great trick. I love it. It allows me to know you're here. We got to come up with some new ideas, some new ones. I want to see something new. I said, I'm just going to ask you, push the envelope a little. And let's see what the next trick you can do. I said, but that was a beauty. I said, thank you so much. Um, uh, do they listen to you when you say that? When they uh, about conservation, are they are they into that? I don't know. All I know is, is I was just being honest with them and trying to communicate with them and saying, hey, look, you know, that was a great great thing that you did. Um, but on a real serious note, you know, I just want to com- you know communicate with them, saying, look, let's try something else. Let's try. Um, I don't know, having something float in front of me that I can see it right in front of my eyes. Or making a silver dollar, making a maybe a gold coin appear out of thin air. <laughs> you know, make yourselves useful. Well, I mean. a gold brick, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, please, let's fly <laughs> that gold brick right into my hand, you know. So when did you first notice this place was haunted? Well, during construction, um, the place had its own feel for itself, let's say. Um, you just knew that in certain parts of the house you weren't alone to the point where you felt like somebody was right behind you and you turn around, there'd be no one there. That kind of the feeling and sensation. Mm-hmm. But nothing really, nothing, no hammers going to work on their own or anything like that. God, I wish. <laughs> right. You know, if they could get the hammers to go work and say, excuse me, why instead you can't, send just They're not union. your nails in. I said, how about taking a gosh darn broom and just brushing up the place, you know, clean up the place a little bit, you know, make yourselves useful. You're right, they're going to move in, like, come on, do something. Yeah, no, I mean, that's how it was. I mean, a few years ago, I got an electric bill that was three times the normal amount, and I stormed down the, the, what was it, the second floor hallway to the uh, laundry room and started screaming, yelling at them. And I said, you guys, this is not going to be tolerated. This electric bill is the last straw. If I ever so as much as ever see an electric bill like this, I will first and foremost get the world's greatest psychics sensitives and exorcists to come here and have you basically booted out of here i said because last i checked between the two of us i'm the only one who's got pants and since i'm the only one who's got pants i'm the only one who's got pants who have pockets and especially in the back pocket i'm the only one who's got a back pocket with a wallet and in that wallet in that back pocket is gosh darn money and that's what's going to be coming out of that gosh darn back pocket that's got money in my pants is going to be that which is going to pay for this bill and i can't afford you and you can't do this to me ever again and i said you can't keep on turning the television on in the middle of the night and not turning it off you can't keep on turning lights on in different parts of the house that i haven't been into and not turn them off I said, you just got to stop this. I said, I can't afford you. You're going to drive me out of here and bankrupt me and I'll have to sell the house and then you'll be the un- none the happier because I'll get somebody else that'll end up moving here and they won't be as gracious and as kind and as nice as I am. And if we can't do this, then you're going to find yourselves shit out of luck because somebody else is going to be not as tolerant, 
not as appreciative and not as accepting as I am. I said, so you think about that before you turn another light on in the middle of the night and pop my electric bill like that ever again. And what happened? Nothing. Nothing's happened <laughs> since. Do they have, they listened? Oh, they've listened. Oh, they've totally, you know, totally, not, I don't even want to say acquiesced because that's like a submission, submissive type of a position. They've agreed mutually to adhere to what I requested and it's beneficial for both them and I and it makes them happy and it keeps me happy. And therefore, as long as everybody's happy, I don't have a problem with them being here. As Lisa Williams famously said when she came here and saw the house um, due to the Ghost Hunters show, she said, oh, you've got a big party in your bar. And I said, huh, what? And she goes, oh, Sharon's there, Jay's there, there's some Native Americans, there's a bunch of other people who I don't know. I think there's Rudolph Valentino, whose house was across the way. She said, oh, they just want me to tell you that they so appreciate you allowing them to be here. At which, I point, at which point I said, well, far be it from me to tell them to get lost. I've seen the pictures of how Sharon and Jay died, and I don't want to add, you know, be the ass, you know, a-hole that tells them to get lost and to find themselves someplace else to, you know, to, to habitat, to cohabitat. I said, no. I said, not at all. It's no sweat off my back. I don't have a problem with them. They've been quite nice to me, and I kind of appreciate their presence here. So let them stay and visit. It's all good. And that's how it's been? That's and the that's how it's been. It's, you know, and like I said, everybody comes that comes here, it's like, oh, I want to see Sharon. It's like, I want to see Sharon. I want to see Jay. I want to see Wojciech. I want to see Abigail and Steve. And, and I say, look, the reality of the situation is this, that I've come to understand from my experiences here. The house is one-tenth of one percent them. The other 99.9% of the activity is directly related to, to you and to somebody you knew when you were they were alive and that is connected to you. I said, let me put it to you this way. What reason in the world would Sharon or Jay have to approach and make connections with you? I said, if you didn't share some kind of connection directly or indirectly to them, it doesn't make a lot of sense for them to bother expending any energy because of a parlor trick that you're demanding or requesting. It just doesn't work like that. And what we've seen is, is that people that come in here, their deceased friends, relatives, whatever, are the ones that are most responsible for what we've captured on EVP, on the video, on the film. And in a very, very, very few cases can we even attribute it to Sharon and Jay in any way, shape, or form. Well, they just seem to be the most famous guests, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, you'd have to say, I'd say this to that comment. If you had somebody like Gloria Vanderbilt's kids come in or something, then their relatives that might come through might be more famous than Sharon and Jay. Might be another group of famous people. Because again, if you figure that somebody that comes in here that's of some noteworthy connection or correction, if they're connected in some way, shape, or form to somebody who's noteworthy, who's famous, who's passed away, they could come through. Here's an example. John Barrymore Jr. has been here several times at some of the parties. And he said he felt that his father's presence might be around. And I said, you know, John, I said, I've been to John Decker's house, which her father frequented many a night and drank with Mr. Decker. And I felt his presence quite, quite honestly and sincerely there. And I don't even know if the house is there anymore, but that house, which was from the 30s that John Decker lived in, was notorious 
for the escapades and the the torrid sexcapades that took place there with Errol Flynn and W.C. Fields and John Barrymore Sr. and John Barrymore Jr. And, and it was just all the different people that had walked through that house, that has a lot of history to itself because of its it was somebody famous who lived there. And those are the spirits that are the residual energy. This house is totally unique in the sense that it's a portal or a vortex where nobody's technically died in this house. Nobody's died on this property with the exception of what Lisa Williams said. So so basically what you have is that people come in, you're having spirits that are, basic, that are literally attached to these individuals that are manifesting while they're here. And then, of course, there are the other spirits that are, for lack of better words, slumming it here in David's, flop, David's ghost flop house, basically, or the omen flop house for ghosts. And that's what you've got on that level. But it's not like anybody died here because nobody did. And certainly not in the past 13 years that I've lived here. And since we're the only house that exists on this property and never has, it seems to reason that... Um, we would, you know, we wouldn't be as haunt. We were not really as haunted as we are a portal or a vortex, and therefore the activity is not what you'd call a typical haunting or residual haunting. It's quite unique in the paranormal field. So what about? Let's get into promo time here. We're running out of time. Sure. Uh, so what do you? Uh, what do you want to promote? I mean, do you want people to come here? Do you want people to get in touch with you? Do you want to remain? <laughs> do a I mystery? want people to come here? No, I don't want people to come knocking at my front door saying, <laughs> "Hi, I hear you have a haunted house. Can I come in and check out your house?" Like, no. You don't want that. Uh, do you want that? Definitely not. <laughs> then, then just remember that what you don't want done to you, I don't want done to me All neither. Right, I'm writing that down. Um. No, well, as a matter of fact, uh, I will be over at Stan Lee's Kamikaze Expo on October 30th. In California. Here in Los Angeles, California at the LA Convention Center. I will be there on October 31st, Halloween. Uh, We have a booth, which is 1248 West Hall, and you can meet me there. I will be signing posters and selling T-shirts and raffling off T-shirts and baseball caps from my movie house at the end of the drive. Uh, we're actually going to have a panel discussion in room 506 at 2 o'clock on Halloween day. And then at 5.30 in room 411, they are going to be screening my movie house at the end of the drive. So please, if you're at Kamikaze, find me and come see the movie. What about Twitter? Uh, Twitter, I am on The Omen House. On Twitter, the Omen House. On Twitter, no, that's sorry, that's Instagram. Is is uh? Get your social media straight, oh, David. Oh God, I'm sorry. I finally finally joined Instagram, which is at the Omen House. On Twitter, it's at the underscore Omen One, O M A N One, and also House End of the Drive is also at House End of the Drive. And I'll have all this stuff on the website as well, so in case you got confused. Oh, and wait, wait, one wait, wait, there's more. We got, we got time. YouTube, go to my YouTube channel, kiddos, and sign up and subscribe for www.youtube.com forward slash David Omen O M A N. Beautiful. Uh, I'll subscribe tonight. Yes, and you will enjoy some of the latest videos that have been shot here at my home. And by the way, none of those videos are at all faked. I do not, and I will not allow anyone 
in so much as to perpetrate a fraud shot here at my house. Why? Because I'm the kind of a POS that does not like people to make fraudulent assertions about my real-life haunted house. So I really like to maintain the integrity and the credibility factor so that you guys get the real deal of the paranormal activity going on here. Because let's face it, if it ain't real, I don't need to go watch paranormal activity. If I wanted to see that, I'll pay my 15 bucks and go to the theater. This stuff is legitimately, solidly real. That is true. I couldn't have said it better myself, David. Uh, well, I want to thank you for letting me come into your home and not investigate your house per se, but investigate you and your background. Uh, it's been a lot of fun for me. It's been fun being <laughs> on with you, Dan. I'd love to come back on again. And honestly, next time, if you want, we can actually stream a live paranormal investigation here. I can get my uh, crew here, okay. Lilia, Steve, and Philip. And we can do a real-life investigation for your um, audience. That would be really fun. I That'd like be, that. be classic. We stream some video and do a seance and see what we can get. And by the way, let me just say this. Uh-huh. If there are other voices that you guys are hearing on this recording, you'll have to remember it is just myself and Dan here speaking. The entire rest of the house is entirely quiet. And we're in a very, very quiet part of the house. So... If, for example, you hear some whispery voices coming in on the mic that are literally almost sounding like they're right an inch away from the microphone, those are EVPs. And that is, would not be uncommon because we have had several times people interview me and later on they go, well, we're reviewing the videotape and all of a sudden we hear this little girl giggling in the background. And I'm like, little girl giggling in the background? I don't have a little girl. I'm... There's no one here that's under the age of 25 years old, so what are you talking? And then I hear the audio, and I was like, oh, my God, there is a little girl giggling in the background. I don't believe it. So don't be surprised. That's just one of my ghost guests saying hello. Well, I will make sure that everyone listens for that, as I will as well. Uh, well, thank you very much, David. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, and thanks to everyone for listening. Have a good night. <laughs>